I'm watching the Comedy Store documentary on HBO. And fuck, that is that is a freeing piece of art to watch. It's a freeing piece of art. Seeing all those comedians get up there and riff and tell great jokes, tell mediocre jokes, tell fucking, fucking miserable jokes. But most importantly, to, to get to a place where you're operating outside the spectrum of the audience's barometer of how you're doing, how you're performing. Even right now, I am thinking about, in the slightest, but still, it's there in my mind. I'm thinking about what people may think who are listening to this. And I'm watching this documentary. It's it's the Comedy Store documentary on Showtime. And one of the guys, Sam Kinison, who is a comedy legend, he's before my time, but I've heard guys like Joe Rogan talk about him. I've heard Bill Burr talk about him. You know, a, a bunch of people are lining up in the documentary just to speak some words about the legendary preacher fireball of Sam Kinison. And he gets up on stage and he's all wild. He's like, oh, the fire, the hell's raining down on you. You right there in the audience, your wife's going to leave you. Your life's going to go to shit. Right now I'm doing like a a cross between a professional wrestler and a terrible Sam Kinison impression. Your wife's going to leave you. It's all going nowhere. The fires of hell are raining down on and your life is going to go in a way you don't think. It's going to go down a dark, dark road. After the comedy store, you're going to get into a T-bone collision. You and your wife are going to die. But you're going to go to a place that's better because you're going to be single. You're going to be without each other. You're not going to be in this godforsaken relationship anymore. And that is not Sam Kinison. (laughs) That is something that came out of my head, but... Go watch Sam Kinison. But the point is, he he has this energy about him where he's just... And he grew up preaching. He, he was a preacher from the time he was a little... You know, he was a teenager. He's used to being in front of audiences on stage and corralling all of this energy within him and releasing it to the people who are frightened and excited in front of him which is exactly what it was like watching the audiences in this documentary in the comedy store some of them were you know a lot of them were cackling they were they were cracking up in the back especially the comedians but a lot of people uh the faces that i could see on camera they were just like oh my god like like what you would imagine if you were standing at the gates of the pearly gates of heaven waiting for God to rain judgment upon you and instead Sam Kinison is in your face screaming punchlines and it's you know I've never done stand-up comedy I've never been on stage doing a, a spoken live performance 
But I imagine it's very just in the moment. And it seems like a lot of these comedians get to a place, especially late at night in the comedy store where the magic starts to happen, where you don't really give a shit. You don't really give a fuck about what anyone is thinking of you. Your opinions, the opinions don't register. Or if they do, I can't tell. The audience can't tell. You're 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 doing great, and you're killing, and you don't care, or you're bombing, and you don't care. You just are up there to say what you want to say, and you get lost in the emotion of that. And again, I'm I'm speaking as a fan of comedy. I'm speaking of someone who's been to comedy shows, watches a ton of comedy, someone who's currently going through this documentary. It's a six part documentary, and I'm starting with this because. Normally, when I do the aux, normally when I do these solo episodes, there's always a plan. There's always, oh, I'm going to check off these bullet points. I'm going to go like tick through everything on the sheet and I'll prepare a topic. I'll talk about Marilyn Manson or I'll talk about Charles Manson or I'll talk about the Titanic or I'll talk about something in the news. And recently I've made this sweeping proposition this this I've, I've taken this sweeping stance that I'm going to stick to things along with money, crime, corruption, power and I'm just up here trying to riff right now seeing how this works because part of the reason why I love doing this podcast is because it acts like a supplement to the guest conversations that I have on my other show, The Oxoro Podcast. The Ox, The Oxoro, they're very similar. I probably should have named them something different, but fuck it. And I'm wondering, you know, I, I enjoy the guest preparation for The Oxoro Podcast. I love it. I, I like brainstorming topics, doing the research before when I, when I know I'm going to be talking to someone. And now I'm starting to think that maybe I should just fucking riff for the ox. And there's a good chance this episode is going to be terrible. But there's a 0.001% chance repeating that, you know, this might turn into something special. And if I decide to keep it in this format, it will get better. It will get better. So I'm just going to be up here be down here sitting in this chair talking for 45 minutes just about some shit some shit that's coming to my mind and the comedy store documentary is coming to my mind right now because i i'm watching it and i am like crafting jokes in real time something something that i'm not interested in doing is doing stand up comedy but I am interested in feeling in a sort of ranting flow state and podcasting that could be compared to stand-up comedy. I'm not, I'm not saying podcasting is stand-up comedy by any means. There are a lot of comedians that do podcasting. Obviously, it, it's you know it's taken over the comedy world. The comedy world podcasting has, and I'm a fan of a lot of comedy podcasts. But just like seeing. 
seeing these comedians get into this sort of just overwhelming, energetic, and at times vapid state of going where they want to go creatively, knowing that they're going to fail, is something that I want to try. Because for me, having the notes, you know, having the bullet points in front of me, like I usually do, like, oh, the Ox solo episode, you know, I can't talk for an hour. How am I going to talk for an hour without any notes? That's fucking ridiculous. And maybe I won't. Maybe I'll freeze up in the middle of it. Maybe I'll just stop talking and you'll be listening to 35 minutes of silence. Which will turn into a meditation. That's how I'm going to release this episode. <laughs> it, if, if it goes well, it'll be a great podcast. If it, if it, it goes horribly, it's just going to be a shitty 10-minute podcast. Nine minutes and nine seconds I'm at right now. And then a 40-minute meditation. Because it'll just be... <laughs> Um, what do I say? Um, follow the breath. Follow the breath. Follow the breath. How many times would I have to say that in a row for you to kill yourself? Follow the breath. Just do it. Just listen. Just listen to your heart and follow the breath. Okay? Just... In and out. There you go. Just in But I'm I'm watching I'm watching these people get on get on stage and it's seen there's something that happens when you get into a space where you don't have preparation because you just have to go with whatever's on your mind and everyone's experienced that to some small state i remember i remember going through that recently i was at my girlfriend's phd graduation and i was playing a position called a paranymph which i had no fucking clue at all that i was even in this role until about 10 minutes before the, the that's a lie i knew i was sitting behind my girlfriend for the phd graduation the, the ceremony she's in a room there's an audience professors are asking her questions she gives a pre presentation and she gets grilled for 45 minutes straight about science questions and I knew I was sitting behind her. And about five minutes before we walk in, someone else who uh, is an assistant professor at the school my girlfriend was, was graduating from and also a friend of my girlfriend who, who was the other one in my position. There are two paranyms. I was one. She was the other. She's like, oh, yeah. Um, so this is what a paranym is. You you hold the the my the thesis what my girlfriend wrote for the past three years which she's been working on and you may get called on during the defense and you'll have to refer to something in the thesis and read it possibly or you know if 
if your girlfriend faints while you're giving the presentation, you're expected to to hold her up or you, you may be referenced during. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I thought I was an audience member for this whole thing. And the ceremony went well. I didn't have to say anything during the ceremony. My girlfriend crushed it. And then we get to dinner. And it's customary that the both paranymphs make a speech. And I was going to, you know, get probably get up and say something like, you know, I'm really proud of you, blah, blah, blah. Um, just like a short thing. And then I'm sitting uh, next to V, the other paranymph, and she rings a glass and she's like, all right, like, Zach's speech time. And she tapped me before. She's like, we're going to make a speech now. And I'm just like, we're going to make a speech now. And she's like, we're going to make a speech now. And I was like, we're going to make a speech now. Breathe in. <laughs> Breathe out. <sighs> and so I did this, you know, somewhere along the four to six minute range of a speech where I wasn't planning on speaking beyond 30 seconds really at all. And I remember very vividly being in this state where I knew something was going to happen and I couldn't tell if it was good. I couldn't tell if it was great. I couldn't tell if it fucking sucked, but I was just speaking and eventually, you know, two minutes in after the, the nerves wore off a little bit, I got to this place where I just went and I didn't give a shit about the perception of the words that were coming out of my mouth anymore. All I gave a shit was the word. All I gave a shit about was the words that the perception faded into the back. You know, that feeling where, where you're saying something and it happens a lot if you're in a high pressure high pressure situation where you're simultaneously gauging the words that come out of your mouth and then also the response of the people who are listening to the words come out of your mouth and it's impossible to truly be yourself when you're doing that and I remember like almost like the snap of a fingers with that feeling just fade away. In the last like three to four minutes I was speaking. And again, it's not, I, I wasn't speaking in front of a lot of people. It was like 15 people in a, in a room in a restaurant talking about the journey of being there for my girlfriend over the past year and a half and how proud I am of her and her accomplishments and coming up with a story on the spot that I wasn't planning giving and then riffing off of someone else's speech that came before me because I was trying to think of like, oh, like, what can I connect this to? And it ended up just being this like beautifully clumsy, but a little bit clever and authentic and overall, you know, good, got a good response because it was authentic like it wasn't the perfect speech if i was graded on it i probably would have got like a b minus c plus but it was a hundred percent real because i wasn't referring to any notes i wasn't referring to to anything at all and when i'm watching this comedy store showtime documentary that's the way that I imagine, uh, you know, and I imagine some of these comedians feel in that same ballpark. Like that is what I was doing in that moment is a small taste 
of what it's like to be on stage in stand-up comedy. And again, I have no interest in being a stand-up comedian, being a career in stand-up comedy. I'd probably suck at it um, because I had a great childhood and <laughs> apparently that is uh, something that goes against you in comedy. But I love podcasting. I, I love talking to people. I love having conversations. And I've also grown a love for solo podcasting. And so inspired by this comedy store doc, I am doing the episode in this style and just talking about whatever comes to my head for a certain period of time. Now, 60 minutes and 40 seconds. So if if I do bomb this episode and it is utter silence, it will now only be about 35 minutes of silence instead of 40. <laughs> Thirty-four minutes and forty seconds, and counting. What else did I do? I I also started reading a book about the Balco scandal. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Balco scandal, with Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, the steroids era of baseball, the the juicing era, the Bash Brothers era, with Conseco who was allegedly the one who started, who, who introduced steroids to baseball and, and looking like a Greek god when you step up to the plate. Apparently, that was Jose Canseco, according to this book. It's a book, just remember the title, it's called Game of Shadows. Game of Shadows. And I read this book, I want to probably like eight or nine years ago when it first came out and it's been sitting on my shelf and I saw it the other week and for whatever reason I felt this desire to read it again and it's different reading this book as a washed up baseball player now as opposed to someone who was in my baseball prime when I was reading when I was I was 19 20 when I read this the first time so I was uh you know, I wasn't an excellent college baseball player, but I was pretty good. I was getting some looks by some pro teams. I was a lefty as a sophomore going into junior year, throwing, you know, 89, 90, sometimes 92, 93. And as a lefty, that's good enough to get a professional look. And then inevitably, or not inevitably, because not everyone gets elbow surgery, but in my case, uh, what happened happened. I had two elbow surgeries and dropped off the map. And I always thought in baseball, while I was playing baseball, I thought, fuck these guys that take steroids. Fuck these guys that juice up, that pop pills, that cheat, and that got away with it. Fuck these guys, dude. It's cheating. There, there's, there's a line in the sand, and when you cross it, it's cheating. No questions, no black and white. Or should I say it's all black and white, no nuance. Once you cross the line of PEDs, you're just you're you're in a separate part of the Venn diagram. It's 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 PEDs, players who don't take PEDs, and then there's in the middle, you know, there's there's no middle area. It's a it's it's a centerless Venn diagram. It's just two tits, two just just droopy, 
Two tits, actually one tits droopy from steroid use with a nipple. It's a guy who's coming off steroids on one Venn diagram, that group. You know, that side with all the juicers. Just that floppy nipple tit from uh, whatever it's called when you stop producing the, the testosterone and then you, you know, start getting uh, boobs as a guy, the, the, man, the droopy man boobs. And then you have the other fully formed muscular tit on the, or just like the natural titty. You know, it's not like a juicer tit, but it's just, it's a pretty good peck. It's a pretty good tick, pretty good tip, tick, tip. Can't speak. That's what happens. I'm, I'm so excited about the steroids because I just shot up. I, how funny would that be? How funny would that be if I got popped for steroids as a podcaster? <laughs> like I, I was, n- no one's checking for it in podcasting, obviously, but like I went to my next doctor's appointment and he's reading out my blood samples and he's just like, yeah, you, have you been taking androgen and testosterone boosters? And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to fucking up those subscribers baby I'm trying to break some records I'm trying to fucking knock some episodes out of the park my doctor's just like you know you, you you don't have to inject steroids into your ass to do that he's like and I'm like oh actually I didn't know you could do it in your ass. I've been doing it in my asshole, Doc. Are you telling me I should do it in my ass cheek and not my asshole? Because it's been pretty painful. I've just been, you know, kind of just riding the the syringe. And the doctor's like, oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah, Doc. Oh, my God. Because we're recording a podcast right now. My doctor doesn't know this. I'm, I'm doing, I'm taking steroids to all lead up to this live podcast with my doctor that where he doesn't know what's happening. But how, how funny would that be if I just like, it, it, you, there's an article in the newspaper that local podcaster gets popped for PEDs on HGH, <laughs> Winstrol, Decadurin, Durabal, not even a steroid, just taking made-up shit. Anything to get an edge in podcasting, because that's how hard I fucking go. But I, I used to think... I, I used to think that once you took steroids, and again, this was while I was playing, that there's no middle ground. You can't take roids and then get into the hall of fame as a baseball player you can't take like i was just very against it and now as a washed up baseball player that is in decent shape but you know i i'm physically active I, i do things like hiking and muay thai and i still lift weights kettlebell swings all that shit but i can't throw a ball 90 miles an hour anymore and so now I'm just like, oh my God, like the, like feeling my noodle arm. And if you told me I could inject some shit and get back and go to a, a semi-pro game or like an adult league baseball game and throw 94, just do it for one season. Like if I could get on juice for one adult league season, like 
like a work a work league a podcasters league and adults are showing up hungover on sunday throwing 78 and i'm just fucking doing test boosters in my car coming out throwing 97 on the black a hundred percent one hundred percent i am doing that shit no questions asked for one season a hundred percent and if someone asked me do i think i still have a shot to be in the adult league hall of fame you're sure as fucking shit i i would say that i i should have a better chance to be in the adult league hall of fame because i took steroids if you don't roid you should not be in the adult league hall of fame obviously i'm joking a little bit but like I I do think about it differently. I I do think about PEDs and steroids differently now being someone who's heavily removed from the game. Especially, you know, if you're a guy like Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds without steroids still would have been one of the greatest players of all time. He was a 30 home run a year guy, easy, 30 plus steals a year guy, easy, hitting for a high average. He was such a fucking douchebag on the Pirates. The coaches hated him, but still he was a fucking unbelievable player. And then Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, these guys came out of nowhere. Jose Canseco looking like fucking bodybuilders, dude, like bodybuilders in fucking baseball jerseys. And Barry Bonds, being a fucking all-star, future Hall of Famer, saw these guys steal the show from him. Saw them absolutely... Like, Barry Bonds... Like, now, if, you, if you've if you started following baseball in, like, 2010 or later, like, 2008 or later, the all-around guys are the stars of the game. Like, the Bryce Harpers, who are fast, hit for high average... Um, can hit home runs, still have power, great arm, the Mike Trouts, like the all-around dudes who can do everything are the superstars of today's game. But back in the late 90s, early 2000s, it didn't matter if you could throw the ball four feet. Like if you if you were a third baseman and had to fucking three-hop it to first, if you hit 50-plus home runs, you were on the fucking front page of ESPN. If you had 60 home runs, like... People were watching you like they would watch fucking pro wrestling. That steroids, steroids are are a unique thing in baseball, a unique entity, because a lot of people became interested in baseball because of the results that steroids were producing. The the, the all the collective bargaining shit uh, in the the seventies and eighties leading up to the I believe it was the strike of ninety four, like all that shit just left a reverberating sickness through the game where fans were not showing up. And then steroids came into baseball. Steroids were being used widespread throughout the Olympics and steroids came into baseball and, and you know, literally like we're, we're fucking shot in the ass to the game because people want to see fucking home run. They want to see guys throw 102. They want to see guys hit the ball five, like not just hit like, I I don't think like you have to go back and watch highlights of guys hitting home runs like the home run derbies back with McGuire, Sosa, uh, Barry Bonds, 
Canseco, um, like all these fucking dudes. You think Stanton hits the ball far now? Like they were dudes that were peppering like 530 foot home runs, making Stanton look like a fucking little leaguer. And it was insane. Fans loved it. I remember loving it. You know, I had no idea what roids were because I was like nine at the time. But I, I remember going to Shea Stadium and watching guys hit the ball a fucking mile, watching the home run derby on TV, like seeing the numbers, guys hitting 40 home runs, like two thirds of the way through the season. I think there there was one when Mark McGuire had his, uh, what was it, 70 home run season or 66, whatever. Um, when he broke Babe Ruth and uh, Roger Maris's record, I think he had 20 home runs in the first two months, or like 24 home runs. Like that is a fucking season. He could have quit in May, hitting 300 with 24 bombs, and been like, "See you later. I'm done for the season." That would be a fucking all star season. If I if right now I was on the Mets and for the year I hit 300 with 24 bombs, I would be in the all star game in 2022 for the entire season. Mark McGuire did that in April and May. And again, you know, I I grew up watching the steroids era baseball. Like that was my first memory of seeing baseball, but not knowing what was going on. And then learning about it later, all the scandals and shit that came out. And then... I formed very hard opinions. My dad was also very against steroids. You know, you know Barry Bonds shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. All this shit like that. And and now I watch I watch highlights. I read about it, and I think you know what would I do if I was in that situation? If every if if every other guy. Because that's pretty much what it was. If every other guy was taking a pill or taking a shot. And that was changing their career. Very tangibly. Like like this wasn't like, oh, do steroids make a difference? Like someone, do people know? Do people not know? Like no, dudes were showing up to spring training looking like fucking linebackers. And, and like hitting the ball 60 feet further than they've ever hit it before. Steroids were no doubt changing the game and and changing what players could accomplish physically. And all the other players knew that if I, if I was playing, if I had a family, if I had millions of dollars online, if I knew that if I could just take steroids for a few years and, and, I would be fine and I would sign a contract and that would be it. It would take care of my family and major league baseball guarantees contracts. You sign on the dotted line and like you could hit fucking a hundred two average the rest of your career. The money's still yours. What would I do? I'd probably take steroids. I'm not going to lie. Like if I'm a, if I'm a lefty pitcher, and, you know, I'm throwing 92 and then I see steroids start to come into the game and 92 used to be a pretty decent fastball. And now the average fastball on the staff is like 96.8. I'm just like, I'm out of the job. 
what the fuck are these guys doing? I see them doing it in the locker room. Guys are talking about it in the showers. They're injecting each other. They're going to doctors to get prescriptions. And again, it was legal in baseball for a long time. Like Legal is the wrong word, but it wasn't being tested for. I believe steroids were illegal to take without some sort of prescription. But Major League Baseball was looking the other way for a very long time because it was in their best interest to. There were some journalists that called out players like McGuire and Bonds and Sosa. They saw shit and bottles of stuff in their locker and they took pictures of it. And, and when these journalists reported that players were uh, roiding in baseball, the journalists were the one who got attacked. Because the commission of baseball was like, we need these fucking roids. <laughs> we want the juice. And so did the fans. And so did the fans. So yeah, if, if everyone around me is taking it, like I'm not going to lie, I'd probably do it. And it makes me think about podcasting. Like, Let's say there was a pill that became available next year. And it was an illegal drug. It, it was it was an illegal pill to take in the United States. But, you know, podcasters don't get tested. Maybe it's a little bit harmful for your health, which steroids were very harmful to your health long term. But like, let's say the pill that podcasters are taking is, has a, uh, the same health effect uh, on podcasters as it does on steroid users. So and what the pill does for you, though, as a podcaster, the positive benefit is that it lets you recall anything. Like, I don't need a Jamie like Joe Rogan has to look up shit and Google it and tell me, oh, like, what year was it when Vladimir Putin came to power? Like, I just have it fucking, like, in my brain ready to go. Like, it's just like a, an implant, um, like a, a Neuralink supercharged chip in my brain that gives me data recall of anything like event person date and I don't have to have notes written out I just I have everything up here I have a guest on the podcast I have a solo podcast like I could just just like talk about literally whatever the fuck I want like I'm an expert and all podcasters start taking this pill and I start hearing whispers about it like like yo did you guys the podcast Neuralink. Did you hear that shit? It's called Podlink. It lets you say whatever you want, like an expert. Oh my god. It shrinks your testicles though a little bit. A hundred percent. Like, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind I would take something like that because it, it's not just. It's not just thinking about the benefit, the cost benefit analysis of that pill in your life. It's that I've chosen the career of podcasting, just like these guys have chosen the career of baseball who were playing during the steroids era. And it's like, if you don't do this, you are a hundred percent out of the job. And if you do do this, you maybe get to keep your job. And I'm sure there were players who stood up against it and said, you know what, I'm not doing steroids. Fuck this. Like, even though the MOB doesn't test for it, this is bad for my health. 
even if I get cut, it's fine. I'm sure there are guys who've managed to stay in the big leagues that didn't take steroids, weren't as good as they could have been had they taken steroids, but they said, fuck it. And I'm sure there are a lot of other guys that got cut. And there are a lot of guys who just shut the fuck up and took the steroids. Should we legalize performance enhancing drugs in sports? Also something that I've been thinking about as I'm reading the book. Should we legalize performance enhancing drugs in sports? Because it's like this. Sure, you can ban drugs. You can ban performance enhancing drugs across the board like many franchises and and many leagues already do with USADA the 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 Olympic drug testing agency um you know major league baseball bans PEDs NFL and some of them allow street drugs now but when you ban drugs the chemist is always in front of the testing agency and by that I mean the people who professional athletes or other agencies with millions, sometimes billions of dollars hire, these chemists are hired to create these designer steroids and these masking agents that totally just are able to blur out everything you take to the people who are testing you. So you can have illegal drugs, illegal performance enhancing drugs in your system, and the people testing you can't see it because the chemist alters a part of a molecule or gives you a masking agent or both. I'm not smart enough to know how it works. But the money is on the side of the chemists. They have the most money. They are also the ones coming up with the different designs of these drugs. Like They're always going to be out in front. They are the innovators. And the drug testers are like the police. They just catch you when they have the tools to catch you. And when you get caught, it doesn't mean that no one is getting away with testing drugs or no one's getting away with uh, taking performance enhancing drugs. When you get caught, it just means that they caught you and they caught whatever drug happened to be in your system at the time. So we can play this. It's kind of like uh, the, the quote unquote war on drugs where... Everything is illegal, uh, you know, like cocaine, heroin, crystal meth, whatever, like go down the line, name it. All these things are legal, yet they all get into the United States and many other countries by the billions of dollars every single year. I'm sure trillions at this point. And so the, 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 where the money is, because the cops aren't getting paid a lot, the, the money is on the side of the cartels, the money is on the side of the smugglers, the money is on the side of the dealers. They're the ones who have the resources to innovate. So the people who are trying to catch you are always going to be behind the innovators. They're always going to be behind the chemists. They're always going to be behind the cartels, the dealers. So should you just legalize it and take control? Because that is one way to take control is you legalize these drugs and then you have some more control over production you have more control over um, you know with athletes taking them you can um, have athletes don't have to be so secretive about it they will be more likely to go to their doctors and get tested more likely to get um, things like blood tests just 
cancer checks, things like that. Like if, you, if you're taking a drug, you know, is illegal, you're not going to be as open with your team physician. You're not going to give as much information. You're going to withhold a lot of things that could have negative long-term impacts on your health. If you legalize performance enhancing drugs, it would 100% be a shit show short term, but long term, if handled correctly, I, I think could do some good for sports. And there may be a way to do it more safely for the athletes because I've heard, you know, this is complete speculation, but I've heard that some sports may actually be safer with certain performance enhancing drugs and steroids because the sports are so brutal on your body. So, for example, something like football, like you may actually leave the game of football healthier being allowed to take certain performance enhancing drugs because those drugs may actually assist your body to get through the season. And the human body without any enhancement has limitations. So that is an argument I've heard that it may actually be healthier with the athlete or, uh, for the athlete when used in accordance with a team physician, with a doctor, proper dosage. You know, you're not buying this illegal made shit from China. You don't know what it's in. You don't know exactly how much you're taking. You fucking get off it. And two months later, you have a droopy tit. Your balls aren't working. Your fucking sperm's gone. Like, I, maybe we should legalize it. Maybe we should. Last week, I did something that I've been putting been putting off for a long time. You know, we're talking about sports. We're talking about physical activity, performance enhancing drugs. It's got me thinking about my own workout routine right now, my current shit. And something I've been doing is steel mace flow, steel mace flow. I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, talked about it here and there. It's basically, you, you, you have a mace, it's a steel mace, it's a long metal rod with a sphere on the end, and you draw it like a sword, you can swing it over your head. And I took it outside. I, I put it in my workout wagon where I, you know, I, I just picked up this little wagon and I put my kettlebells in there. I put my my mace in there and I wheeled it around the corner and I was swinging a mace outside as part of my workout. And I was just in the rhythm and I was like, whoo, 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 whoo. And I was doing it in sets. So I would do 360 swing. And if you don't know what a 360 swing is, I can't really do it here. If you look up Steel Maze 360, you'll see what it is on YouTube. Ton of great educational videos out there. But you're you're just getting in like a very primal, rhythmic swing with the mace. You can go both ways. Different types of swings. Single arm swings. And... I did a few of these sets just with my eyes closed just to see what would happen. You know, outside, I usually do this in my apartment. I have high ceilings and I went outside with the mace and I was swinging it and I was just like, (sighs) 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 and I felt very in flow. I I felt 
like I was tapping into something. And I was playing around. Like, you know, I wasn't... I I had a plan going into the workout. I was doing some sets, but, you know... I was fucking around in a good way where I'm just like, I want to swing it like this now. Now I'm going to turn it. Now I'm going to close my eyes. And I'm saying this because it made it fun. And a lot of times, you know, and I've suffered from this in the past, I am reluctant to work out. Yes, because working out sucks. You know, it's always going to suck to some degree, but I get used to this level of sameness it's like the fucking same every time i do it i have my splits you know i used to be a big uh you know back and bicep day and then chest and triceps and then you know shoulders and calves and leg day and i grew up um you know i i I enjoy lifting weights i still lift weights it's still part of my regimen but i just got caught in this this quicksand of structure and so i abandoned the traditional gym during quarantine you know during the pandemic i picked up some weights i haven't gone back to a traditional gym i I joined a muay thai gym but now i have the mace i have kettlebells i have some dumbbells and i move around i i i bring my toys (laughs) outside you know i load up the wagon could hold up to 150 pounds so i bring some shit outside i don't have a you know a a set plan where i'm like i'm gonna do three sets of this and three sets of this and then two sets of this and two sets of i kind of just build it as i go and that is fun for me and then within those sets i'll play around with some movements and if something feels good like if i said you know i'm gonna do this for 30 seconds and i'm like oh i want to do this for like two minutes actually like i did with the swings i ended up doing them for a while with my eyes closed and just like felt it and really stood there and and got in touch with it and kind of shit just melts away that helps me get through the suckiness of working out so I'm not telling you what to do, but if you are having trouble working out, if you're having trouble getting to that point where you're like, I need to get over the hump and release myself creatively in the weight room, try going, like, if you've been working out for a while, you know, at least like two years, three years, you have a base, you know what, what, what works, what doesn't, you, you have some sort of basis you know, don't do this if you're a complete beginner, but, you know, if you, if you have a foundation, go into the weight room without a set plan. Or just get a kettlebell, like put a kettlebell in front of you, take it to the mat and just hammer the kettlebell for 40 minutes. Do swings, single arm squats, raises, a ton of variations and exercises you can look up. Give yourself an element of play in the weight room or whatever your workout space is sure have a structure you know i like i said i do have some sort of structure but now i like leaving an element of wiggle room creativity adding that shit into the workout because it's fun i I don't know what's going to happen exactly when i've realized that that's what fun is the older i get the more i savor the moments where shit is not planned out exactly because that takes the fun out of it And this brings us full circle because the reason why I started this podcast in the first place, I'm recording this at 10.30 at night, by the way, on a Sunday night. 
is because I just wanted to do this unplanned and see what happened. And it could have been shit. It could have been good. Could have been somewhere in between. But maybe I'll keep doing this format in the future. Again, if you've been listening to the Ox for, you know, a year, two years, you know that there's always been a plan. I've done shorter episodes. I've done longer episodes. But I've always had some sort of plan going into it. And when I say plan, I mean like set, like to the T, bullet points. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. And for the first time, I said, fuck that. I'm going to trust myself as a podcaster, as someone who's been doing this for a few years now, that the solo episode is going to be a grounds for play. It's going to be a grounds for play. And I liked it. I had fucking fun. I hope you enjoyed this. Again, the the guest episodes that I have on my other podcast, the Oxora podcast, I love doing the research. I love I love coming up with topics, ideas, questions. It's not super strict with the structure. Um so it's it's not like I'm going to abandon all structure in my podcasting regimen, my routine. But with the solo episodes, I got to be honest, this feels fucking good just to go on the mic and trust yourself. Like you're a wild Sam Kinison in the comedy store trying to channel some of that energy obviously you know this is not comedy this is not stand-up i don't know what the fuck this is it's podcasting is the name of it but really it's just words coming out of my mouth it's not supposed to make you laugh it's not supposed to make you cry it's not supposed to make you feel a certain way it's just supposed to make you feel or you know hopefully be a shared experience that we can have so thank you for sharing this experience with me it's been a good fucking time it's past my fucking bedtime good night and i'll talk to you next time